Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's show. I really do feel like today's show is different. Um, I really feel strongly what the Lord has put on my heart. And, uh, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would minister to your heart today of the things that I'm going to be talking about and sharing None of these words uh, were flippant thoughts. They have all been well thought out, basically line by line. But I do need to say, before I get there, just about the finances of the ministries, because this show is not about the finances. I haven't talked about the finances for three or four weeks, and I keep forgetting. So I'm going to talk about them right now, because if I don't, I am going to completely forget, and the show's going to be over. Um, and I just want you to know, and I'm not fearful of money, of the money that comes in or doesn't come in, but I'm just simply making things known to you that we have an awesome core base of givers to this ministry that give uh, monthly re- re- recurring gifts every single month because they have logged onto our website and they have clicked that little box that says recurring. Um, but that amount of money that comes in and we're so grateful for those people that are so faithful in that. We are still, every month, roughly around $1,500 short that is made up through people that give uh, more sporadically and one-time gifts. So I just want to make that known to you, that we are $1,500 short every single month. That uh, Now, we've never been short, but we are short in comparing, comparing the, the monthly givers. They give this amount what it costs to survive every month is $1,500 more than that. And because of the faithful one-time givers uh, and God's, um, just his sovereignness in that for us to continue, he puts it on people's hearts to give. Uh, so if that is you, just know I'm just letting you know what the need is um, so that you can prayerfully consider uh, becoming a monthly recurring partner or just giving a generous gift so that this ministry can keep going forward. Okay, that's all aside. I don't like to talk about money. I don't really, it's very difficult for me to even figure out where exactly I am supposed to start something. How do you convey to a people, how do you convey to a friend sitting in a coffee shop that what you're about to say has convicted them so heavily and that you literally just pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them in this in the same regard. I have to tell myself that though I am going to proclaim this word today, that it is nothing within myself that will change you. My hands are clean before the Lord as long as I give this message because it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit came to convict in regards to sin, in regards to righteousness, in regards to judgment. So if I give the word and there is no response, I gave the word and my hands are clean. The Lord is doing something so incredible in my heart. And whenever he does that in people's lives, they so drastically want that change to occur in everybody's lives around them. There is something new happening in my life for it is a love for the word of God like never before. And I am praying that the same love would be ignited in your heart for theology, for things that are rooted, for things of depth 
not the fleeting Christianity, this basic, shallow Christianity found in so many churches around America. I don't want to be a part of that. I seek, I want the Lord in his fullness, which you can know the Lord in his fullness by reading and studying his revealed word, his inspired word that he has given us. It is in the word of God. It is in the Bible. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would go before me. You would strengthen me and encourage me in this. The mature Christian's aim in life is not to be happy, though he is, and though he can rejoice and be full of joy and full of happiness, having the security of salvation, knowing what the Lord did upon that cross. He is happy. But it is not the aim of a Christian's life to be happy. That is a Christian humanist point of view that elevates you and your feelings over that of God's. And God is not a humanist. He is a theist. And I'm going to get to that. The mature Christian's aim in life is not to be happy, though he is, but to be holy. A thing in which we are holy W-H-O-L-L-Y, inadequate to achieve by merit. Yet holiness is the goal in which we are saved. Understand what I just said. That is a well-thought-out statement. Holiness is the goal in which we are saved. It is God's purpose in our salvation, in your salvation, that we should be made holy. Therefore, those who were called to salvation by God are predestined to holiness. You will become holy. It is, it is a mandate of the Lord. He is predestined. He will make this happen. Ephesians 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. What? To be holy and blameless in his sight. Before God, think about that, before God even called you, he already predestined you to be holy, not by anything that you can do, but, but what he can do through you. He is sovereign. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three, it is God's will. It is his will that you should be sanctified, meaning you will be sanctified. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says this, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he has called, he has justified. And whom he has justified, he these he also glorified. Think about that. Before you were born, or even before the world was even created, God in his foreknowledge predestined his own to be made into the image of his son. 
Before time began, God knew how you would respond to the gospel of Jesus. And he predestined you to be holy, sanctified, and set apart. When God elected sinners, he elected them to be holy. Holiness, here it is, hello, bolded, underlined, mark it. Holiness is the mark of the believer. All to bring him glory. This is our life. This is our existence. Oh, I, Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go out. And in the same way this is convicting me, I pray that you would convict those watching today. This is why you are here. This is your entire life. This is your entire existence. Why you live and why you breathe. This is the great priority of the Christian life. Not happiness. But holiness, though you will be happy. I'm not dogmatic. I'm a very happy, joyful person. Ask anybody. If you don't have any desire within your, within your life, within your heart, within your mind, and not that you will fail, because you will fail, probably daily. But if you have no desire to live holy, which is the mark of the elect, the mark of those that the Lord has chosen, and you being that who has responded. You have reason enough there to question where you stand before God if there's nothing in you that desires holiness, if there's nothing in you that desires to live right, if you have simply just prayed a random prayer and then you can literally go and live your life however you want and feel no conviction at all to the things that stand in stark contrast against the word of God. If there's nothing within you that desires holiness, which is the mark of the believer that God in his foreknowledge predestined you, the elect, to become holy. This is a process of becoming holy, not nothing that you can do within yourself. You have no merit, but that God will do through you. If you have nothing in you that desires to live a life of holiness, if you have no conviction when you read the word of God, you have every right to question where you stand before God. Humanists consider the well-being of most humans, of the largest majority of humans, to constitute the highest good. Whatever is good for most humans, that is what constitutes the highest good. This is how a humanist believes. This is his worldview. But God deems the highest good not what is good for everyone, though it also ultimately does mean what is good for everyone. But God does not deem the highest good as that. He deems the highest good as the fullest display of his glory. And that is one of the big problems with many churches in America. Do what makes you happy, we're told. You've got to make sure you're happy. Your happiness is the most important thing. You cannot view God through a humanist standpoint, or the gospel will be about you and your happiness, and not about God and him glorifying himself through us. 
God is more focused on our lasting holiness than our fleeting happiness. God is determined that the circumstances of our lives, including our struggles and our pain, will be lovingly used to shape our lives to become more like that of his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. People are naturally humanists. We can clear these notes from the everything. People are naturally humanists. God is a theist. Understand that. People are naturally humanists. God is a theist. Humanism, what is this? It's people hold human life higher than anything else. To revere humans and human life above all, humanists worship mankind. God is not a humanist. God is a theist. The dictionary definition of humanism, an outlook or system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. Humanist beliefs, uh, humanist beliefs stress the potential value of goodness of human beings, emphasize common human needs, and seek solely rational ways of solving human problems. The struggle today that I find myself standing in stark contrast with other people that we read the same word, but yet it's a completely different filter. I understand that I am not talking to a humanist, but I am talking to Christian humanists, which is a type of Christianity that puts the focus on us rather than God. Above all, God will be glorified. Understand that. Above all, God will be glorified. God didn't, oh, this is a statement I wrote. Jeez. This, this can, this hurt me. Okay. This is like, and it hurt me because I, we all have Christian humanist views in our hearts where you rationalize that God is more about us than he is about him and his glory. Though it, it, it is connected. We'll, we'll get to that. God didn't create humans to love them. Ooh. Let that sink in and let, let your disagreeing with me happen, and then I'm going to go on. God didn't create humans to love them. Though he loves us so much that we will never be able to fathom the love that he has for us. You will never on this side of heaven or while you're in heaven, you will never be able to understand just how much he does love us because he is good to the nth degree of every characteristic he has. He is good to the nth degree with his love, with his grace, with his mercy, with his judgment. He is good. He loves us so much that he gave his only son to die for us. He loves us. But God didn't create humans to love them. God created humans to glorify him. That we would worship him, to glorify him. 
We weren't created so God could love us. We were created so that we could worship God. You see, we weren't created so that God could love us. Think about that. Like, even though it stings my heart, because I have, we as human beings, a part of our sin nature are naturally humanists, that we regard humans as more important than anything else. So we were not created so that God could love us because if we were, then we, then God is serving, like we are the God. We are the God and God is not God. We weren't created so that God could love us, though he does. We were created so that we could worship God and through that worship, bring glory unto him. Listen, this isn't some type of new theology. This is literally the way that man viewed God through for hundreds of years. And our Christian, since the birth of since the birth of the church in Acts, that it is not about us. It is about God. Everything that you see, everything was made by him, is through him. Every single thing that you see, the core of it all is God. We were created that we could worship God. This is a shift from viewing God as Christian humanists would do. Viewing God as, as a shift to viewing God as the supreme God, sovereign over all. So what does the Christian life look like? And it is the most joyous, the most wonderful thing to serve Jesus to die unto ourselves. It is the best thing. He will replace any earthly joy that you have in the other things of this world. Whenever you die unto yourselves, whenever you are pursuing that holy life, he will fill you with a joy that is almost unbearable at times. And how awesome is that? What are we to do as Christians? I'm going to move into some scripture now. It is time we view God as God and view us through the lens we ought to view us. It is time we pick up our cross and we count the cost. Luke 14, 25 through 33 says this, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Those of you, those of us who were not willing to Pick up our cross, which is a symbol of crucifixion, a symbol of dying. This is why the Lord says for us to be a living sacrifice, because though we are alive and our heart beats in this world, we are to view our lives in this life here as a living sacrifice in the spirit realm we are a living sacrifice. In, in the realm unseen, we are holding our cross. We are dead unto ourselves and made alive fully in that process through Christ Jesus. 
it is time we pick up our cross and die to ourselves. For which of you intended, intending to build a tower, does not sit down and first count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and, well, consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, to consider the cost, like the man building a tower or like the king going to war. Consider the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And so we have to actually think to ourselves, well, what is that cost? Jesus answers it for us at the very end. In verse 33, like I just read, so likewise, whoever does not forsake some. No, it doesn't say that. It says, forever of you who does not forsake all, cannot be my disciple. Listen, people. The true cost of Christianity is everything. Even that of your own life. This does not preach well in most churches in America today. We have formed and fashioned a type of Christianity that costs so little. And, you know, we have chalked it up that to maybe it's a part of America being so great so that the cost is less to be a Christian. Now, I'm not making a political, I'm not saying something through veiled speech where I'm really saying something I'm not saying. No, I'm literally just meaning exactly what I'm saying here. A problem with America being so great is that it has made Christianity cost so little. Now, I'm going to talk about, well, America being great was is a great thing, and it was a good thing as well, is and was. But just think about that one sentence by itself for what it is and find a place in your heart where you can agree with that. A problem with America being so great is that it has made Christianity today in 2019 cost so little, so we think. And I'm not saying that we should be weak and impoverished because it is by God making America so great and so powerful that the gospel was able to be preached in a scope like never seen before. The amount of missionaries that have come from America, it was a, it is and was a wonderful thing. I'm just simply saying that we just need to come to a place where we just think about these things. That a problem with America being so great is that it has made Christianity cost so little. And I'm not simply saying, so one is going to have to change. Either America becoming great or Christians changing the way they view Christianity. I, wanting to think the glass will always be half full, that America can continue being great. And that something takes place within the hearts and minds of the body of Christ in America. Or God might diminish America so that the remnant of Christ will be purified through trials and tribulation, that we would fully recognize the cost.
Simply keep in mind the story of the rich man wanting to enter heaven. His comfort made the cost too high. Many are asking, how can I be a Christian but maintain my comfort? Just scary question to ask. I'm going to end with this. And it's a long ending. God is about his glory. Ephesians chapter 1, it says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Everything is about God's glory. Listen to this. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Why? Why? Why did he do that? To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, he, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, for he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on and on earth under Christ. Here it is, verse 11 again. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works on out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for what? Why did he do all that? For the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who he is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Why? To the praise of his glory. It's very clear what Paul thinks is the goal of God in saving us from our sin and from ourself and uh, and from and and for himself to the praise of the glory of his grace. Don't tune out. Don't shut the program off right now. There's more that the Lord, I feel, wants to say to you through his word. How do we bring God glory? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. How do we worship God? What is our true and proper worship? It is. It tells you in Romans, in the inspired word of God, it tells you what your true and proper worship is. 
is to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is how you are to glorify God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's like so many people are like, oh God, I wonder what your will is for my life. Show me your will for my life. I've got to know I don't want to make the wrong step or the wrong decision. And the Lord is saying, listen, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God so that you can worship him properly. And then it says this, then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You don't get one without the other. Listen, God's ultimate glory is his ultimate goal is to uphold and to display the glory of his name. You don't believe me? Listen to this. God shows his people for his glory. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, and 12 and 14. God created us for his glory. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. You see, this is the difference between us viewing God through a humanistic perspective and God being a theist. God called Israel for his glory. That's Isaiah 49.3 and Jeremiah 13.11. God rescued Israel from Egypt for his glory. Psalms 106.7 and 8. God, and I don't have time to read through the, all the scriptures, but they're going to be on the bottom of your screens and, and write them down so you can go and look at them. God raised Pharaoh up to show his power and glory and glorify his name. Romans 9, 17. God defeated Pharaoh at the Red Sea. Why? Guess what? To show his glory. This is Exodus 14, 4, 18 and 17. And, and continue in 17. God spared Israel in the wilderness for the glory of his name. God gave Israel victory in Canaan for the glory of his name. God did not cast away his people for the glory of his name. God saved Jerusalem from attack for the glory of his name. God restored Israel from exile for the glory of his name. Jesus sought the glory of his father in all he did, listen to this, John 7, 7, 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Jesus told us to do good works so that God gets the glory. It is about the glory of God. Jesus warned that not seeking God's glory makes faith impossible. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and not Seek the glory that comes from the only God. Jesus said that he answers prayer, that God, why? Why does Jesus answer prayer? Is it because of just you? Now he does love you, so he's going to answer. But understand that Jesus answers prayers. Why? What is Jesus' motivation? So that God would be glorified. Listen to this, John 14, 13. It says this, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. I will do. Why? Is it for you? Oh, well, no, it says that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's all about His glory. 
Jesus endured his final hours of suffering for God's glory. The cross was for God's glory. God gave his son to vindicate the glory of his righteousness. God forgives our sins for his own sake. Jesus receives us into his fellowship for the glory of God. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son of God. God instructs us to do everything for his glory. God tells us to serve in a way that will glorify him. These are all scriptures that we are totally out of time. So go and look up these scriptures. Jesus will fill us with fruits of righteousness for God's glory. All are under judgment for dishonoring God's glory. Herod is struck dead because he did not give glory to God. Jesus' ultimate aim for us is that we see and enjoy his glory. Listen to this. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. This is Jesus talking. Even in wrath, God's aim is to make known the wealth of his glory. That's Romans 9, 22 and 23. God's plan is to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. Habakkuk 2, 14. Everything that happens will be about God's glory. From him and through him and to him all things. To him be glory forever. Even in the new Jerusalem, the glory of God replaces the sun, S-U-N. It's all about God's glory. I pray, Jesus, right now, that your Holy Spirit would convict in regards to sin in my own life, righteousness in my own life, and judgment in my own life. And I pray that for everyone watching today, that the Holy Spirit would also convict you in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. That you, Holy Spirit, would ignite them for a love of the word of God like never before. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please get into your word. Let God shape your mind. May everything we do in this life bring glory to God because it is all about him. 